Hi family, welcome to the PIWC Accra podcast, where we are inspired, challenged and equipped to possess our spheres of influence with principles and values from the word of God, preached and taught powerfully by anointed and seasoned men and women of God. We believe strongly that this word will bless your life, so do not keep it to yourself, share it with someone you know needs to hear it. On today's episode of the podcast, we are certain that you'd be blessed even as you receive the ministration of God's word with open hearts. Now family, let's get into the word of God. I'm ministering on the topic, break camp and advance, break camp and advance. There are a few things that the Lord has laid on my heart so far as this theme is concerned that I want to share with you. But let's start from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 6 to 8. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorite and to all their neighbors in the Arabah in the hill country and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring. Amen. Now, people of God, let me start by saying this, that the life of the people of Israel, especially their life on the wilderness, has very important lessons for the church today. If you look at the life of the people of Israel, especially if you examine their life on the wilderness, there are so many important lessons that the church today can pick from them. And I'm saying this because the people of Israel were and are still considered as the church in the wilderness. So when you look at the people of Israel, we want to see them as, and they are, and they were also considered at the time as the church in the wilderness. In fact, when you look at the address of Bikin Stephen, when he appeared before the Sahindrin, he made it very clear that the people of Israel on the wilderness was the church on the wilderness. Now, in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, verse 38, this one I'll pick from the King James Version. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke to them in the mountain Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Now, my interest here is that this is he that was in the church in the wilderness, talking about the people of Israel, establishing the fact and the point that the people of Israel was the church in the wilderness. Now, in some versions, this scripture is written 
assembly in the wilderness. In the other versions too, they say congregation in the wilderness. So from whichever angle you look at it, the church or the people of Israel in the wilderness was the church in the wilderness. Therefore, as the church in the wilderness, whatever they did and whatever they said have some implications for us, the church today. And there are some useful lessons for us to pick from the lives of the people of Israel, which is the church on the wilderness. Now, coming to the scripture that we have read, through an arm stretch of God, the people of Israel, who later became the church on the wilderness, were redeemed from the grips of their bond masters. You remember that some way, somehow, the people of Israel found themselves in Egypt. They went going looking for food, and then they went there, they, they multiplied, they gave birth to children, they multiplied, they did all kinds of things. But there arose a Pharaoh who never knew Joseph or know what Joseph had done. And the Bible says that he began to put them to work. And then he made them slaves and bond servants. But at the right time, God appeared on the scene and decided to deliver the people of Israel from the grips of these bond masters, the Egyptians. Now, when God delivered them, he was very specific with them where he was taking them to. In actual fact, when God delivered the people of Israel, God was not vague. He was not ambiguous. It was not just like, I'm just delivering you, not knowing where I'm taking you to. But God delivered them, and he was very specific to them that I'm delivering you, and I'm taking you to a particular place. And so in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, the Bible says that, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and verse 8 says, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And so God made the position very clear that one of the reasons why I have come down is just to deliver you, just to save you, to deliver you from the hands of the Egyptians. But you see, God did not end it there. But God went further and told them where he was taking them to. And so the Bible says that. He says that to deliver them from the hands of the vision and to bring them up out of the land to one, a good and a broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And so God was very clear with them that I'm delivering you and I'm taking you out of this land, but I'm taking you to a very specific place. And where I'm taking you to is a land that the Bible describes as a good land. It's a land that the Bible describes as a broad land. It's a land the Bible describes that it is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And God further even said that I'm taking you to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So, there was a destination that God was taking the church to. And that destination was the promised land. The land was a promise that the Lord had made, not even to them, but even to their forebears. Long ago, God had told Abraham, and God had told Isaac, and God had told Jacob, 
that he, he was going to give that portion of land to their descendants. And so the wilderness was never meant to be where they were to settle. The wilderness was never meant for them to settle there. The wilderness was meant to be something like a transit, a a place that they were just to pass through and then get to their promised land. But the wilderness was not. God had given them a promise long ago, a promise to their forebears that your descendants will be slaves somewhere, but at the right time, I will deliver them. And this was the time that God was taking them out of Egypt and was bringing them to the promised land. But the wilderness was not meant for them. It was not meant for the place that they were to be settled. But somehow, when they go to the Mount Horeb area, they either intentionally or inadvertently decided to settle there. And by that, they experienced a period of stagnation. When they go to Mount Horeb, they either deliberately, intentionally, or mistakenly, or for whatever reason, they settled on the wilderness. But the wilderness was not meant for them to settle there. And for a period of time, maybe two years, maybe some years, they were there, and by that experience what I call a period of stagnation. So, for so many years, both the church in the wilderness and its members were stagnant. There was no progress in the church, no was their progress in the lives of the members. For so many years, they were stagnant on the wilderness. There was no progress in the church. And by extension, if you examine the members of the church, there was no progress in their life. And so like that, they had become like a stagnant water. The church had become stagnant. But people of God, The New Testament church, unfortunately, sometimes behaved like the church of the wilderness or the church in the wilderness and also become stagnant. Sometimes the church begins impressively, full of life and vigor. Sometimes the church begins very well, full of the Holy Ghost, full of power, full of strength. Full of life. But there comes a point in the life of the church that we begin to enjoy our horror so much so that we become stagnant on the wilderness. We become stagnant. But you see, people of God, not only about the church, but sometimes... The individual believers, the individual members of the church also get to a point in our Christian lives and we become so stagnant that there is nothing else we can do. And so like the church in the wilderness, when the church and its members became stagnant, sometimes the church of the New Testament also and its members get to a point 
that we settle so comfortably at Horeb. And when we are comfortably seated at Horeb, we get to a point that both the church and the members become stagnant and we are not progressing. Life therefore becomes like water which has become stagnant. Now, people of God, the stagnation of rivers can be likened to vehicles which are grounded for a long time without any movement or a human being who oversleeps. And so sometimes we are like water that has become stagnant. Or sometimes we are like vehicles that have become grounded. And for a long time, we are not moving. People of God, anytime there is stagnation of river or a vehicle is grounded for a long time without any movement, or when a human being oversleeps, there are serious negative implications and effects. When a river becomes stagnant, it results in nothing but death. It breeds death, mosquitoes, and all kinds of diseases. And so when a river ceases to flow, but that river becomes stagnant, the result is sicknesses, and eventually the result is death. When a vehicle is grounded for a long time, that vehicle is destroyed by rustiness. That vehicle becomes so rusty that at the end of the day, because it is not being used, because it is not moving, it is not going up and down, at the end of the day, it becomes rusty and it gets destroyed. Oversleeping, people of God, develops bed stores. So, in fact, stagnation of a church almost invariably leads to death. When a church comes to a point where it has become stagnant and it is not moving and it is not flowing, when the church comes to a point where it is settled at Mount Horeb and it is not moving and it is not progressing, the result is death. And death here, I'm not talking necessarily about the physical death, but I'm talking about spiritual death. Now, so stagnation leads to spiritual death. At the end of the day, the church becomes dead and members becomes dead. Listen carefully, people of God. In a church like this, you see that gifts and ministries die. When the church becomes stagnant and then there is death, what you see with that church is that gifts die and ministries also die. And so you'll find out that we come to church, all right, but there is no life in the church. We come to church, all right, gifts are not working, gifts are not operational, there are no visions, there are no revelations, and everything is dying, everything is bad because of stagnation. And stagnation leads to death. When a church becomes stagnant, vision and purpose also die. And so you see that there is no purpose, there is no vision. Members of the church are purposeless. Members of the church become visionless. 
And so gifts are dying, ministries are dying, visions are dying, and then purpose is also dying. And then when the church becomes stagnant, you see that there isn't life in the church any longer. We come to church just because we have to come to church. But you don't encounter life. You don't see life. There is no life in the church. Now, when we come to church, the pulpit becomes as dry as anything. When we come to church, worship becomes something else. When we come to church, people forced to dance. They dance, but they don't dance because they have encountered the spirit. But sometimes they dance because they want people to see that they are also alive. Stagnation leads to death. When you become stagnant, when you settle on Mount Horeb for a period of time and you are not moving, when the church settles on Mount Horeb and the individual members also settle on Mount Horeb and they are not moving, the only sure thing that you can have is death. The church may be seen to be busy with programs. There can be programs upon both programs and there can be activities with beautiful songs and then there can be, there can be uh, beautiful programs. There can be beautiful buildings. But inside the church, there is no life because of stagnation. The church may have a great name, yet death because of stagnation. A church that has become stagnant may even have a great name. It may have a wonderful name. It, it may have a name that when you mention, you see that this is a church. But the church, because of stagnation, the church is dead. Charles Spurgeon said something. He says that do not go where it's all the fine music or grand talk and beautiful architecture. Go where the gospel is preached and go there often. So he's talking about where there is fine music. And so it means that you can have a church that there is fine music. Now, a church that there is grand talk. When we are talking, we talk big. There can be beautiful architecture. They can have a beautiful building, beautiful auditorium, well-decorated building, well-decorated auditorium. But you see, if the church has become stagnant, that church is a dead church. It's a church there is no life. A church that is enjoying Mount Horeb. A church that has settled on Mount Horeb. And this man, Charles, is saying that, don't go there. Don't go there. But go to where the gospel is preached. And when you are going there, go there often. People of God, sometimes it is not just about the church. But it is also about the individual members of the church. And individual believers of the church. And it is these believers who become so stagnant and rusty. In that case, there is no impact. Their lives are not making any impact. They are not making any difference where they are. They can be there, but unnoticed. They can be there, and nothing about them shakes the system. Nothing about them shakes the system. And this is what Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 3. Verse 1, and said that, And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, The words of him who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works. You have 
the reputation of being alive. And so sometimes we have the reputation of being alive. People see us and they say we are alive. People see us and they think we are alive. By the way, sometimes we jump. By the way, sometimes we shout. By the way, sometimes we lift up our hands. By the way, sometimes when we come to church, we lie down, we lie on the floor. We do all kinds of things. And so we have that great reputation that we are alive. But the Bible says that, but you are dead. But you are dead. This is a church that has become stagnant. This is a believer that has become stagnant. You have a reputation to be alive. Everybody sees you to be alive. But indeed, the one who knows and sees the secrets of all men really knows that you are not alive, but you are a ghost walking around. You are dead, probably buried, but you are just pretending. But you see, after a while, when the people had lived in stagnation, a period of stagnation for a while, God stepped into the situation. And God came and made a declaration. He said, enough is enough. Enough of the stagnation. Enough of the period of stagnation. And so Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 6. The Bible says that, For the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Now, this is the word of God for you. You see, for God to have brought us this theme at this time, it tells me that we have entered into a period of stagnation and that we need to arise and we need to move on. God will not bring us this theme at this time for fun and without any cause. And for God to have brought this theme at this time tells me that we have enjoyed Mount Horeb for a long time. But God put his word in my heart to come and declare unto somebody that enough is enough. You have stayed here for a long time. You have experienced this period of stagnation for a long time. You have become rusty for a long time. You have become like a river that is not flowing. You have become like a vehicle that has been grounded for a long time. You have become like a man or a woman who is sleeping and oversleeping and has slept for a long time. And as a result of that, you are developing bed sores. As a result of that, you are becoming rusty. As a result of that, you are producing death. But I carry the word of God in my heart. And I carry the word of God in my spirit to declare over somebody listening to me that enough is enough. You have stayed here for a long time. Oh yes, you have stayed here for a long time. You have enjoyed this place for a long time. You have enjoyed good music for a long time. You have enjoyed this warm fellowship for a long time. Enough is enough. I come in the name of Jesus. And I come to declare unto somebody that enough is enough. Enough of staying at Mount Horeb. Enough of enjoying the period of stagnation. And it is time for the church to arise. And not only the church. It is time for the individual members of the church to arise. If you are arising and I am arising, put together the church is arising. In the name of Jesus Christ, let there be an arising tonight. Let there be an arising tonight. You have stayed here for a long time. 
You have become too rusty. You have become too rusty. You are producing death. Gifts are not operating. Check yourself. Check your life. The gifts of God in you is dying. It's dying. And sometimes you do certain things for people to see that you are alive, but you know that you are dead. You know that you are dying. And sometimes you fake. Sometimes you pretend. Sometimes you do all kinds of things. There are all kinds of gymnastics. You jump. You, you shout. You pray loud. and you do. But you know within you that everything is not right. And you know within you that you are dying. Sometimes you do all these things but you know you are resting. Sometimes you do all these things but you know you are developing best thoughts. But listen to the word of God. God told me to come and tell you that enough is enough. And that I Rise and move on. You have stayed here for a long time. You have stayed here for a long time. You have stayed here for a long time. You have stayed by this horrible for a long time. But when I was looking at the scriptures, I found out two reasons why God was emphatic that they should move on. From verse 7 and 8, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorite, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now look at verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take the possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them, and to their offsprings after them. Now, two reasons why God declared unto them to arise and move on. Number one, where they were was not their destination. Where they were was not their destination. God didn't deliver them from Egypt just to dump them at the wilderness. No. God didn't deliver them from Egypt just to Put them on the wilderness. So where they were was not their destination. Listen. The people of Israel saw the Lord do great things in their lives. Even on the wilderness. They saw God do great, 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 great things. The Red Sea was parted before them. Something that had not happened in history before. That for the Red Sea to, to part open. And for the people, human beings to walk in the Red Sea on, on a dry land. And so they saw the Red Sea parted before them. Mara was turned into sweet water. Something that was unimaginable. Bitter water. The Bible says that when they tested later on, the water had become sweet. And if I read the scripture and I get there, I don't understand. Water that is sweet. But water had become sweet. They were fed with manna on the wilderness. To the extent that water came out of the rock to quench their thirst. These notwithstanding, they had seen great things. And many, many other great things the Lord had done. But these notwithstanding... They hadn't gotten to their destination yet. That was not where God actually wanted them to be. You have seen greater move of the Lord. You have seen the Lord do great things. 
You have seen the Lord's hand lifted up, even in this church. But I came to tell you that where we are is never our destination. Where we are is never where God wanted us to be. Irrespective of what we have seen before. We have seen greater things. We have seen miracles upon miracles. We have seen the Lord move. We have felt the presence of the Lord in our church. But I came to say that where we are is never where God wanted us to be. God had something better for us. Something higher for us. And so irrespective of what we have seen, it is not enough grounds for us to say, Mataheku, Metnahabi. No. And so the people of Israel had seen great things. But God is saying that, look, this is not what I meant for you. Get out from here and move. Irrespective of what God had done in this church and what you have seen with your eyes, the move of God that you have witnessed, the, uh, the power of God that you have witnessed, may I declare that this is not enough. This is not enough. This is not your destiny. This is not where God wants you to be. You better get up and arise. You better begin to walk. May the one sitting down begin to stand up. May the one standing begin to walk. May the one walking begin to run. And may the one running begin to fly. Because God has something better for you. This is not your destination. Ah, I came to declare that if you are sitting down, stand up. If you are standing up, begin to walk. If you are walking, begin to run. And if you are running, begin to fly. Because there is something better. There is something better. There is something better. This is not your destination. This is not where God wants you to be. There are many great things. No, even, even in your life. The things that you have seen in your life. The move of God that you have seen in your life. The breakthroughs that you have seen in your life. And the hand of God that you have seen in your life. People of God, these are not enough for you to settle where you are. Because that is not where God intended you to be. No. This is not where God was. So, the first reason why the people of Israel, God declared unto them... To move on was that they hadn't gotten to their destination. They, they have not fulfilled their destiny. But most importantly, number two, I believe the reason for which God was asking them to continue with their journey was for them to possess the promised land. So he says, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land. That the Lord swore to your fathers. And so, the second reason why God told them that they should go was that. They should go and possess the land. They should go because of the promise. The Lord ordered the Israelites to break camp. To go and possess the land that he had promised to them as inheritors. Please, there are many, many promises of God. There are many, many promises of God. There are many, many promises of God. There is a land that God has promised you. There is a land that God has promised to give unto you. 
There is a land God has promised to give unto this church. When I talk of the land, I'm talking about an inheritance. An inheritance that God has prepared for you. Bible says, no eyes have seen, no ears have heard. What the Lord our God has prepared for them that love him. I am praying in the name of Jesus that your eyes will be open. And for you to realize and understand that there is a promise. There is a promise. There is a promise. There is a land. There is an inheritance for you. For which reason you cannot be here. Because if you are here, you can not get to the land. If you are here, you cannot possess the promised land. If you are here, you cannot possess your inheritance. And so I came to encourage brother. I came to encourage you sister. I came to motivate you. I came to empower you. I came to challenge you that don't sit where you are. For there is a promise. For there is a promise. For there is an inheritance. May God lift us up. May he lift us up. May he cause us to move on. Because there is a promise for us to take. There is a land for us to possess. So for two reasons, where you are is not where God wants you to be. But the second reason is that there is a promise. There is a land. That land is for you. That land is for you. I said that land is for you. And arise and go and take it up. Arise and take it up. There are three things that will disturb you. In your attempt to move on, three things that you have to be very careful and have to be very watchful of. So, watch these three things. Number one, comfortability. Sometimes we become so comfortable with where we are and where the Lord has brought us to the extent that we forget that there is a higher height we can attain. Sometimes when God blesses us, both as church and as individuals, and the Lord brings us to a certain level of life, and the Lord brings us to a certain level of ministry, and the Lord brings us to a certain level of unction, we become so comfortable where we are to the extent that we forget that there is a higher height that we can achieve. But listen carefully. The harvest is in the deep. The harvest is always in the deep. If you become comfortable with the peripherals, you will never make any harvest. But you must go into the deep because the harvest is in the deep. But some of us are so comfortable with the peripherals. Some of us are so comfortable with where we are and are not ready to move into the deep. But I came to tell you and to tell somebody that the harvest that we are looking for, the height that we are looking for, it is not at the peripherals, but it is rather in the deep. It is in the deep. We must get to a point in life and in our Christian work that we become restless. We must get to a point that we become so restless with the situation. Until you become that restless with the situation, you'll be comfortable and you can never move on. You can never advance. Sometimes, I think we, want, we have to take the word 
or the advice that Isaac gave to Esau. Sometimes you have to take that advice. Say that, by your soul, you shall live. And you shall serve your brother. But it didn't end there. But it says that, but when you grow restless, when you grow restless, people of God, sometimes we are too comfortable for my liking. We are too comfortable. We are too comfortable. Just enjoying good songs. <laughs> Just enjoying good sound. <laughs> but sometimes, because of the blessings of God that God has given us, we become so comfortable. But listen carefully. The word of God says that if you would become restless, if you become restless, if you become restless, until you become restless, you will not move on. And so people of God, let's break out of comfortability. Let's break out of our comfort zone and begin to dare to move forward. Let's begin to explore. Let's go to where we have never been before. Let's move. Let's venture into areas that are virgin areas. Areas that people have not been there before. Because we are too comfortable. But we have to be restless. God told Joshua that Joshua, you were young and you have become old. You have possessed part of the land. That is good. But remember that there is much of the land for you to possess. Uh, there is a land. Move from here to that place, from the Canaanites to the, to the Hivites, to the Hittites, to all those land. That portion of land you have not possessed. And Joshua had become comfortable thinking that he had achieved so much. But in the eyes of God, there was more to be done. There is something you must discover. There is something you must explore. There is something you must be able to do. There is something you alone. But break out from your comfortability. Break out from it. Become restless. Become restless. Become restless. And when you have become restless, you can break out and then move forward. But the second thing, people of God, that I think that we should be very careful with is what I call familiarity. Familiarity. Sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we become so familiar with and sometimes over familiar with the things of God. And this has the tendency of getting us stuck where we are. Sometimes we become so familiar that even on the pulpit, immediately the man of God mentions the scripture. You are so familiar that you know where and what he should talk about. And so if it doesn't go in line with what you were thinking, your conclusion is that the man of God has deviated. We become so familiar that we get stuck to where we are. When a person becomes that familiar with the things of God, there is no desire to move forward any longer. No yearning and no hunger for growth and development. When you become that familiar with the things of God, there is no yearning for growth. There is no hunger for growth. And you are likely to remain where you are because there is no desire for you to grow. But however, breaking camp and advancing I think begins with an earnest desire and hunger for growth and development. Breaking camp and advancing, I think, begins with an earnest desire for growth and development. 
and a desire and hunger to see the promised land. When you become hungry, you want to see the promised land. You are hungry for the promised land. You are hungry for growth. You are hungry for development. That is where it begins. As the deer pants for the waters. So my soul pants for you. My soul tests for God. For the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Here, David was expressing much hunger for the Lord. He wanted to encounter God. He wanted to see God. He wanted to move from where he was to another level. He wanted to move from one level to another level. And so he says that as the deer pants for the waters, so my soul pants for thee. My soul is hungry for thee. My soul is thirsty for thee. There is, there is a, a kind of a hunger in me. There is a kind of a test in me. Please, until we get to that level that we are hungry for the promised land, until we get to that point that we are thirsty for the promised land, I bet you we shall remain where we are. Because we will be satisfied with what we are. But there must be a yearning desire in our spirit. There must be a hunger in our spirit. As the deer pants for the waters. So my soul pants after thee. My soul yearns for you. I want to have more of you. I want to encounter you the more. I want to move from one level to another level. I have remained at this level for a long time. I have remained at this level for a long time. But it's time for me to move. I am hungry. I want to move. I am thirsty. The Bible says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And when you are hungry and you are thirsty, it is them that will be satisfied. Until you become hungry, you don't need to be satisfied. Until you become thirsty, you don't need water to quench your thirst. But do you want to be satisfied? Do you want water to quench your thirst? Then you must be hungry and you must be thirsty. You must be hungry and you must be thirsty. And when you are hungry and you are thirsty of him, you will do everything to move on to him. When you are hungry for the promised land, you will do everything that it takes for you to be there. When it comes to fasting, you can fast. When it comes to prayer, you will pray. When it comes to the study of the scriptures, you will study. When it comes to fellowship, you will fellowship. Because you are hungry, you want to see something. But today's Christian is not hungry enough. Today's believer is not thirsty enough. We saw our forebears and our fathers. We saw how hungry they were and how thirsty they were. They were not familiar with the things of God. They took the things of God more seriously. And that was why they moved from one level to another level. That's why they were able to advance. But what are we seeing today? Over familiarity with the things of God. And there's no hunger. There's no test. We are there. Anything goes and everything goes. May we be hungry for him. Oh, may you be hungry for him. May you be hungry for him. May you be thirsty for him. May you desire him the more. People of God, what I'm talking to you about, it's not about how many years you have been in the church. No, I'm not talking about your age. I'm not talking about how, who baptized you and when you receive Holy Ghost baptism. No, but I'm talking about day-to-day -day matters. Day-to-day -day matters. 
where you are hungry for him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall. And so when you become hungry to see the promised land, he will also move you onto another level. The third thing that you need to watch is complacency. Complacency. A feeling of satisfaction. Contentment. And a feeling that you have arrived. A feeling that you have arrived. And this is largely due to an achievement in the past. And all what God has used you for in the past. Maybe because of some blessings that you have received. So we come to a point that we think we have arrived. We have arrived. Because of an achievement in the past. Because of what God has used you for in the past. Maybe because of some fame and the name you have made for yourself. And because maybe the church has made so huge name for itself. We become so complacent. But if we want to advance in our lives and in our work with him, then we must learn of the Apostle Paul who says that, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Now, verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. No. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. So I forget what lies behind me. I forget of yesterday's blessings. I forget of yesterday's anointing. I forget of yesterday's whatever. And then I press on. I press on, straining forward to what lies ahead of me. So to the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul knew that there was a promised land ahead of him. There was something he must achieve. And so he says that, I forget about what I have already conquered. I forget about the Red Sea that the Lord parted for me. I forget about the manna. I forget about that. I forget about even Horeb where I have got into. But one thing that I do, I press on. I fight on. I push forward. I refuse to remain here. But I make every effort at moving forward. People of God, we must get to a point that we agree with Apostle Paul. Before we can break camp and advance, we must get to a point that we agree with the Apostle Paul. That I forget about what is behind me. Ah, you have a great history. But I came to tell you that this one thing that I do, I forget about the past. I forget about the achievements of the past. I don't rely on them any longer. Ah, every day, the good old days... Every day, the good old days. Every day, the good old days. But we must have a better tomorrow than the good old days. Yes, we must have a better tomorrow. We must forget about the good old days. Yes, those old days were good. But what about today? What about tomorrow? Tomorrow must be better. 
And it must begin with you and I. Let's break up. Let's forget about the past. Let's forget about the past. And let's press on. There are some of you in your professional careers, in your academic work, in your profession, you think you have arrived. But I came to tell you that you have never arrived anywhere. There is something better. There is something you can go up to. There is, a, there is, there is, there is something you can achieve. A higher height. So forget about the past. Forget about where God has brought you to. And strive ahead. Strive ahead. Because you did this and it worked. Because of you did that and it worked. You have, you have surrounded yourself with history. You have surrounded yourself with history. And everything is history. Everything is history. Everything is history. Oh God, I help in ages past. I hope for years to come. And somebody asks, what about the present? What about the present? Our, oh God, I help in ages past. Our hope for years to come. But what about the present? Jesus what Christ. is God doing with you? We are pressing up. I remember when I was in UCC, I was the pencil president, people of God. And then there were some elders in the church. And then we were telling, we we're having some program, we wanted to use them. And these elders would come and say that, oh, and they were relying so much on what they had done. And I was asking them, you did that, you did that. That's good. But what about today? What are you doing? What are you doing in your private life? What is your prayer life like? What is your prayer life like? What is how how is your scripture reading like? How is how is your scripture how is your meditation like? How is it like? What about today? You did it yesterday, but how about today? Yes, Lord. And what about tomorrow? But I came to tell you that we must forget about the good old days and think of a better tomorrow. Can you lift up your hands, people of God?